Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed, and past performance does not guarantee future results. And we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm joined this morning by Peter Mullen, frequent guest of mine over several years now, five years, six years. I don't know. Has it been um, that long? Not that long. No? All right. No. Okay. No. All right. Three years? Anyway, Peter's always great. Thanks for being here. Peter's with American Consumer Credit Counseling. What's your role there? Education? Outreach? I don't my, my title is community outreach okay. supervisor. Okay. So my my mission, which I love now, is simply to spread the good word of financial literacy all around the United States. Oh, I That's love it. Short mission. I love it. Peter has been helpful the last several years with the money fair that we do at the high school as well. We just had our meeting to start planning for this year's fair. That will be for the seniors March 14th, I think. Two months from today. Yeah. 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 So thank you. You're always appreciated there helping that day. This morning we're talking about financial mindsets. We were doing a little bit of our own analysis on that. And now I want to get into the weeds a little bit regarding motivation. So I was thinking about you and I are in the business of our businesses are, are different, but if you really simplify it, we're in the business of educating people with regard to personal finance and we want people to be successful in that regard. Yeah. And, and we defined different financial problems, issues, things that people struggle with. And I wanted to talk about the different ways I think that we can educate and motivate people to do better and to be successful mm-hmm. with their money and their financial situation. So I thought about, I came up with four like broad types of motivations. One being like validation based proof, numbers based. I'm a numbers person. So I love this one. And I want to go through some examples of that and elaborate on that. But one being like validation or numbers based. Another being, I don't really know how to call this, but like I, I feel like success stories and I have some that I can briefly touch on and, and maybe that will serve as a motivation for people because I think some people will get into that. So that was the second one. And then the third one I came up with is fear-based. And I think a little fear in people is not a bad thing. A little fear. We don't want to totally scare people, but fear-based. And then the fourth one I came up with is like social Uh pressure-based, society-based or something. I don't don't really know what to call that. But I think those are some like some good broad different types of ways that people can be motivated and people will respond to different things and what works for them will be based on their (coughs) different financial struggles. So let's start with... And I want to get into these quite a bit. We have almost an hour left in the show and I want to dig really into these. And again, you and I are so great on the show. We, I think we complement each other so nicely because we, we, we met totally different in general meeting and working with different types of people and approaching things from different Mm -hmm. perspectives. So validation based numbers based motivation. Again, I'm a numbers person. This one I love. I could spend Mm -hmm. three hours on this one alone, but I'll take it easy on everybody today. I just want to touch on a couple different examples and, 
And mm-hmm. I play around with calculators on the show quite a bit. I use calculators somewhat in my business. Generally, I would use like a comprehensive software when I do number crunching for people. But there are calculators available online that people can use themselves. And I think that they can be a great source of motivation. So for example, you could just Google savings calculator or investment calculator. I happen to use the one on the bank rate website just because, and I I know, okay, just seem to have, they have a plethora of financial calculators and they're easy to Mm -hmm. use and all that. And I have no affiliation with bank rate or whatever. And I can't comment. (laughs) I think they're accurate, I guess, but they've certainly been out there for a while and seem to be pretty well respected. Anyway, I'm on the bank rate website and I'm, and I'm using the investment calculator. So it's pretty simple. There's five or six inputs. So I, and I just want to play around with some numbers for a moment. So for example, I have someone with $0. Let's pretend someone wants to accumulate some money in an investment account. So I'm starting them with $0. I'm assuming that they can save. I'm just going to start with, let's start small, $500 a month. And let's say that they can do that for five years. That's 60 months. That is $30,000 of money out of their pocket over that five-year period of time. I'm assuming that this investment can earn six, sorry, I used 7% per year rate of return on average. So 500 bucks a month, 30 grand out of pocket over five years, 7% return. And that is about $36,000. So with those assumptions, five years from now, if you were diligent with that 500 a month, you would have earned, you would have about $36,000 in your investment account. And then you can go on from there. And you and I talked a little bit earlier about how time is your friend in the world of investing. And in five years is a long time, but I would use this to really hammer home the point that time, long periods of time really is your friend in the world of investing. So over five years, so this was, you put $30,000 in with investment earnings, you get $36,000 out over this five-year period of time. If I change it to 10 years, so same $500 a month, but now over 10 years, that's $60,000 out of your pocket over 10 years. Same 7% earnings assumption. You put 60 in and now over 10 years, you get $86,000 out, that roughly, hypothetically speaking. So, the, so you might notice that the earnings on that, of course, it's a bigger dollar amount, but you're putting more money in, but it's as a percentage of what you put in, it's larger as well. If you did it for 15 years, that's what, $90,000 out of your own pocket, same $500 a month, 90,000 in, 15 years later, same 7%, about $160,000 out. So like your, the, not guaranteed, but the potential earnings over, this is, you mentioned compounding interest and we don't need to get into the weeds on that, but longer periods of time are very helpful when you're trying to accumulate assets in an investment strategy because of this, because of compounding earnings or compounding interest. And so, and you could play around with this and I could, I, guess, I could keep going and have fun with this for a long time, but I guess I don't need to bore people with that. But for some people aren't numbers people and I get that, but mm-hmm. this helps to prove the point that long periods of time are very helpful when you're an investor because your potential earnings on your own dollars are much greater like exponentially over long periods of time. And what that translation 
the longer you have, the more you could hope your portfolio would earn with investment earnings. So the, and the more you can earn via investment earnings, the less of your own money you have to put away. Investment earnings can be helpful because you then you're not having to save as much of your own dollars because your potential for earnings are greater. So it just makes achieving a financial goal easier if you can increase your investment earnings. And by that, I don't mean take undue risk with your investments. By that, I mean, if you can do it over a long period of time, that will help you increase your earnings from investments, which just makes it easier to achieve financial goals because you're not having to allocate as much of your own money. However, you need diligence, patience, you need to be consistent with it, et cetera. And that's not always easy. I thought you were going to say something, so I stopped there, but I could keep going. Oh, no, I, <laughs> okay. I, I will add something on to what you say. Okay. So in, I'll add in a little bit more. Little color, color it in for me, Peter. Yeah. A, a little bit more of some other details that I throw in on sure. that. I, I agree with all that you're saying, and but it does get us back to this whole thinking of asking the essential question. What is it that motivates people to want to do all the things you just suggested. Investments and numbers and seeing how they grow up and all this stuff is great. You're talking about what you can do in five years, 10 years, 30 years, but there is today, there's people today. So you have to get through the days, weeks and months today, not just simply live happily thinking 40 years from now, I'll be rich. It's good, that's important, but you still gotta get through the month. Okay, so the, I'll throw that added reality of it that it comes back to some foundational things which can help you get to that vision. Includes such things as budgeting as an example. Budgeting is a good example of one of those things in life that people do want to do and other people don't want to do. And what does it come down to? It comes down to a recognition, a basic recognition of what you make and what you spend and then having something left over. That leftover part is what can fuel what you just talked about. You give an example of $500 left over. So you make, and I'm making this up, you make 5,000 a month, you spend 4,500, you have 500 left over each month of which you can allocate someplace, okay? So that could fuel the vision you just said. But here's the, here's the rub. The rub is for people to actually put in place that discipline and that recognition and that savings you get through month by month to continue to keep that 500 supplying and fueling the vision you just said. So in in my experience, life gets in the way. Yeah. Those I, emergency <clears throat> funds and challenges and so on. And then you have to ask this question of what do people really care about? What's the connection? For you, it sounds a lot like numbers and yes, the appreciation of numbers that are eventually gonna be here, but you still gotta get through the week, the month with the kids and with the expenses and with the unforeseen and the fact that the car just died and the fact that the cat needs an operation and all these other things, they come up. And it's that's the grit, the discipline to still keep motivated, just like that exercising example. How do, I don't feel like exercising, but how do I get myself on the bike? So it's back to that's all entwined in this as well. Yeah, I guess I, I would approach that a little, I would, I guess, approach that a little bit differently. I think that this exercise can serve as motivation, not live your life and then save what's left over. It should be motivation to yeah. off the top, find that, peel that 500, for example, off I the agree. top 
because the motivation should be, and maybe I explained it incorrectly, the motivation should be, for example, if I want to have $500,000 one day in my future, do I want to, do I want to allocate 200,000 of my own dollars over time and have 500,000 later? Or if I want $500,000 later, do I want to save 500,000 of my own dollars? or 450,000 of my own dollars. So the exercise would, the power of compounding earnings, the power of time should, I would hope would serve as some motivation for people to just find that X amount of dollars, pay yourself first, right? You'll hear that a million times, skim Mm -hmm. it off the top before you spend the rest of your money because it's much easier to build a portfolio, I shouldn't even use the word, to build a nest egg or a chunk of money, to accumulate a chunk of money slowly over a bunch of years than it is to try to build it very quickly. Because if you try to build it very quickly, you can't rely on investment earnings. You just have to find all the money yourself or most of the money yourself. Whereas if you do it slowly over a long period of time, you don't have to find to accumulate that, for example, 500,000, you shouldn't have to allocate 500,000 of your dollars, you should have to allocate, mm-hmm. you, uh, mm-hmm. ideally with investment earnings not guaranteed, that you would have to allocate a smaller amount of money. So I guess I was hoping that would serve as the motivation to find that money no matter what, because your life down the road should would likely be much easier financially speaking. Yeah, and again, I think we, we are, again, largely in agreement. Yeah. I, the same things that you say that I would say is also from my world. And that is you do want to think of the end result. You want to think yeah. of one of the things I suggest for anything that I do is what is the end that you're trying to strive for? So where do I want to be? Where do I need to be at age 60, 65, 70? Where that might be one motivation for some people. And then you then think about life and how I'm going to get there. I'm just saying that there's more that motivates people than simply the numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, not everyone loves numbers as much as I do? Oh, okay. I don't understand that. that. There are (laughs) other motivators like beyond crunching numbers. That's important. Just that there's many other things too. When you talk to the whole group of folks that we just talked about with all different backgrounds, beliefs, money is evil, my parents never talked and my yeah. parents always fought about it. And I'm telling you real stories. Yeah. I had a woman who was 45 and she said, I said, what do you know about credit? She says, all I know is, all I knew is my mother said, go to your father's wallet, take out his credit card and use it. That's oh. all I learned about credit. Yeah. Adequate upbringing, attitude, yeah. responsible view about how to manage money. A lot of misinformation out there. So yeah. people don't naturally necessarily cleave to thinking, oh, I'm... 20 years old and if I do all this I'll have a million when I get to be 60 that works for some yeah. but it's all there's many other factors in the whole equation and I think that part of what the challenge is for you and me is yes that's 40 years from now but what am I doing today and the attitudes the views the sacrifice the grit today month week to week month to make that vision come to reality And I totally agree with you that in part, don't feel you have to bear the whole burden yourself. Let's let other things help you get there. So some of them, for instance, I love this realization and in books I've read that I think is great, is don't don't think necessarily that you yourself working minimum wage or working what you're working are going to be the one responsible for pulling all that together. No, other things will help you. Time 
compounding, having your investments, make money. So an example I love from a book I recently read was, a lot of people think, for instance, here's another one of those myths, that once I get a house, I will be totally happy. That's, I hear so many of my clients, that's what they talk about. But here's a little bit different thinking. Think of your first house as a two-family house. Make that your first goal. Why? Because rather than me having a super fancy house, 3,000 square feet with beautiful marble top and all the nice jacuzzi in it, what if I was to take that same 800,000, buy less than a perfect house, and yet it's a two-family? Now I have, right from the get-go, another source of income supporting my thinking. It's not just me and my day-to-day job, which I have to continue, but I'm now starting to think of other ways to make money and add to it. So a third element to all you've just said is, let's find other ways to help make that million dollars come true is not simply just through my wages, it's through my month-to-month budgeting, it's setting some money aside, set aside first, totally agree, take the money out automatically, have it withdrawn and put into a savings account and let that go where it goes, but do be doing other things too. There's a number of ways, what, to skin a cat, there's a number of ways to make this happen. And it does take people working day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month to do what's necessary. Yeah. I agree. Not there's all you said a minute ago that I don't know numbers or this won't motivate everyone, which I totally agree. And good thing we have 40, 35 more minutes to address some of the other ones. But I'm going to make people go through one more numbers based exercise just because because it's me calculate. So for the numbers based people that might have fun with this, (laughs) there are (laughs) lots of people out there that are thrive off numbers and understand them. And I did a whole show one time titled Numbers Speak Louder Than Words. (laughs) I don't know how well received it was, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it though. There's another calculator on the Bankrate website called Retirement Calculator. And this one is a little bit more thorough. There's more data inputs, but just, I'll just really quickly, you can enter current age, age of retirement. So for example, I entered age, current age, let's think of someone on the younger side, 30. Age of retirement, 65, sortional. Yeah. They make $100,000. For example, I you can indicate what percentage of their income they're tucking away for retirement. I put 10%, you alluded to that earlier, and I still think that's a yeah. pretty good rule of, of thumb mm-hmm. when starting younger. But I want. But one of the reasons I like this calculator is that you can prove this. This is my numbers-based proof-based source of motivation. Mm-hmm. In this calculator, for example, someone age 30 that doesn't have anything saved yet for retirement, just getting started, mm-hmm. they can tuck away 10% of their earnings when assuming some increases of earnings throughout their life. And then we're telling it that we want to basically replace their income in retirement and that they'll have social security. Hopefully, actually, we can talk about that today if we have time. But for example, someone tucking 10% away starting earlier in life, like this 30-year-old, you'll see from this calculator that you're, it'll just simply say you're on track for retirement and here's your projected balance later on. But if I take someone then who's 45 and doesn't have anything or much saved for retirement and they're talking away 10%, that doesn't work because that 10% rule 
only really works if you're starting much younger in life and doing mm-hmm. it over a very long period of time. So with if I change right. the age to 45, looking to retire at 65, oops, you ran out of money nine years after you retire. So this is just like a yeah. quick and dirty analysis, but I like that, that it proves what, this is my yeah. proof based, right? This is what we're talking about where it's just mm-hmm. important. I know that 25 year olds aren't like, oh yeah, I'm going to retire one day. Who thinks like that when you're 25? But uh-huh. one of the reasons we do the money fair is because they should have some thought yeah. in the back of their mind about that. And, and, and if they do, I'm hoping that will be motivation for them to mm-hmm. log in when they're eligible for their 401k and set it at 10%. And if yeah. you do that and you're done and you don't think about it for 10, 20, 40 years, then those people are much better off financially. We have to take a break. I We're barely through our outline here, but that's a good problem to have. I'll let you comment on that after the break, Peter. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm joined this morning by Peter Mullen with American Consumer Credit Counseling. We're talking about financial mindsets. We're talking about different ways to motivate people to achieve financial goals or to solve their financial problems or just motivate them to be better regarding their personal finances. We are taking a quick break and we'll be right back to wrap up the show. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. And we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. My guest this morning has been Peter Mullen with American Consumer Credit Counseling. Peter, before, sometimes I get to the end of the show and then I like run out of time to give out contact information or whatever you want to give out to the listening audience. So do you just want to direct people to the website if they have questions for you and how the things that you do and how you can help MERS potentially struggling with credit or whatever? So what contact info do you want to give out? Thank you. And also, I appreciate the fact that you've gotten our name right every single time. (laughs) Do I not always? Yeah, I don't. Every, all four of the American Consumer Credit Counseling, every single time. So thank you. Yeah. No, so my our website is simply consumercredit.com. Okay. So that's how you can get to our site, which is full of all kinds of information and all kinds of free blogs, articles, tools, everything else to help you. We're a nonprofit. So we're in the business of wanting people to be successful from all walks of life. So that's that. Personally, and I'm open to this, my email is pmullen, M-U-L-E-N, at Consumer Credit. So as a financial counselor, coach, outreach manager, we're all about trying to work with individuals, but also organizations across America. So for instance, if you are part of a church, a nonprofit, a prison, a school, or whatever, we provide literacy all over and anywhere. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time this morning. I thought this has been a good conversation, very different from some of our past conversations, but I'm enjoying it. So I want to get through, we only have 25 or so minutes and with you and I, that's not much time. I want to get through um, the different ways to motivate people. Of course, I know not everyone is a numbers-based learner and that won't work for everyone, but there came up with a few other ways that we can educate it and hopefully motivate people. Go ahead. What? So I wanted to respond a little bit to what you just said before the break, if I could. Yeah, yeah. And just simply just add on, I'm not, I think all that the, I think that the whole number side, just so I'm clear, is part of the appeal. 
it's all part of a full appeal. And so I'm a believer that as an instructor, as a presenter and anything, I use all the tools in my toolkit. Part of the other tools you alluded to is that for people to want to do what's necessary to get to that money later in life and to do other things, there's other motivators I would throw in there. One you mentioned, for instance, fear of what happens if you don't have it. Mm. I think it's important to be realistic of the whole scheme. Some For some people, it's greed, okay? These are emotions. Emotions, oh, yeah. they want money for certain purposes, okay? That's okay. There's also fear. What if I don't have it? So I think as educators, as presenters, as facilitators, I think it's important for them, the audience, to see the full array and then just understand what it is with this, what it is without this, and to be fully educated and then... What are the tools I need to help make this happen? The good news is, and I'm this is what makes me bullish on my job, is I'm always believing wherever you come from and however you come into me today, there's always choices. There's choices, hmm. choices we can make to move the ball down the field or whatever analogy you want to advance the ball to the 10 yard line, the 20 yard. There's things we can be doing. And so I, I'm bullish on that. And that you can come out with hope and choices. And yeah. in the investment side, that's a great one. Because one of the great motivators there I see, which I've read so much on lately, is the fact that it can eventually, well done, can lead you to financial freedom. Get Getting out of having to work nine to five, that's really possible. It is possible. It's just a matter of determination. Yeah. I will say, though, in all honesty, and I do agree with what you just said about people always have choices. Yeah, But in all honesty, and I'm saying this to hopefully serve as a motivation for people, the more financially responsible you are and the more assets you are able to accumulate for yourself, the more choices yeah. you have. I don't disagree. And I say that to hope, hoping Greater to be a source of, of more motivation to, to yeah. work hard to mm-hmm. accumulate because really, yeah. that's true. And it's interesting, you said very early on in the show that you meet people that have unhealthy relationships with money. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't meet those people. I can't think of anyone yeah. that I've met that didn't have or that struck me as that's uh, an unhealthy relationship with money or a fear or a hatred of it or something. Yeah. I don't meet those people. Yeah. I, didn't, I guess I didn't come up with any sort of tool to motivate someone like that because I don't have any experience with that. I actually didn't put any thought mm-hmm. into that. That doesn't, that's just not the type of person that I, that would seek out a financial professional, but that's interesting. You said right. that. And if you have any ideas on that before the show is over for sure. But I thought you mentioned greed and fear. I thought let's, t- I, I didn't use the word greed, but I do think of course that can be a motivation for people. But I was just thinking along the lines of, I don't know, our success, I think possibly, success stories be a source of motivation for people. And where my mind went with that, and I said it earlier in the show, is that not, I think people without means or without assets, I don't know if maybe they want, they either think or they want to think that wealth is, the people that have wealth either maybe accumulated it easily. That's not the case always. I think it's very rare for someone to be wealthy or have wealth and had and not have had to work for it. And I and I guess work could be defined in different ways and the, how hard they work it etc could be different, but I think it's at least not the people that I work with. Of course, I'm not just, I'm not exclusively working with the ultra wealthy. I'm not. I work with people of all different levels of assets and incomes, but it doesn't seem to me that most people that have wealth and assets didn't work for it. I think it's very few people that just like 
inherit large amounts of money and are okay financially without having to work for it for some period of time. So I, and I can think of examples of some of my clients who have the largest amount of assets and the highest net worths. And they're not all from wealthy families. They're Mm -hmm. not even all executives of corporations. Some of them are, but they're not all. I can think of teachers that just were very responsible and saved money over long periods of time and accumulated millions Mm -hmm. of dollars. I can think of electricians. I can think of contractors or, and people without a college degree that just worked hard and ran a successful business and worked multiple jobs Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. was responsible and accumulated over time and just worked, 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 and then themselves later in life, very financially Mm -hmm. off. And I can think of a lot of examples like that. And I would hope that would serve as motivation for people. Yeah. Because not everyone, just because you're not going to inherit $2 million doesn't mean you can't build yourself some wealth if you really work hard at it. But again, over time and with hard work. Yeah, I'm in total agreement. That is the, I believe, the mechanics of what makes it all work. Yeah. And recognize the mechanics part is a lot of what you've referred to in terms of how do we get from point A to point B. And there's the number side and all that. And I think in addition to that is such questions as to why are you doing, what are you working for? Yeah. Are you are you working to build all this money so that you yourself are wealthy? I think as you begin to broaden this out, such things as, and this is, I think, adds to the motivation, adds to the achievability, is to say such things, you're doing it for your children. You're doing it for your family. Mm. You're doing it for a cause. You're doing it for what you leave over as a legacy. There's lots of reasons that we all know that people do this work and yeah. build this money. And so, yes, but somewhere along the line, they have to be willing to pay the pay the price in a way. Yeah. And like like a Warren Buffett story, you hear things like this that are at nine years old. I think something I read the other day, like he like sold like his first stock or something at 10. <laughs> oh, like okay. he was thinking that way from the beginning of recognizing that money begets money. And mm. there's a kind of an attitude. And many others, self-made folks have had something where they begin to recognize I'm doing this for a larger purpose, a longer purpose, and there's certain things. But still, they do have the day-to-day responsibility to get through. And what makes them do it? What motivates them? It's many times, it's often the end result of people. It's social, it's family, cause, whatever. I'm all for mastering the mechanics to get there. But there's many reasons why people do that. And it could be fear of poverty. Like I said, a little bit of my own wife's experience, I think that she grew up in when money was extremely tight, her wanting to hold on to it and not, she'd rather save than spend. That's her beginning attitude. My attitude growing up was I'd rather spend than save. So we had two opposite views from the get-go. We had to reconcile that. Yeah. Yeah. And now I try to always, (laughs) I've been converted, is to help people to recognize you, you can do both, but you've got to at least save first. Put the money aside first. That's the most successful formula that I've seen in everything I've read. Yeah. Is you, you set aside whatever it is, 10%, 5%, $100, whatever, first, put it in your savings, withdraw automatically, out of sight, out of mind, and then you take care of business over here. That's the That attitude turns you from being just a spender to a spender and a saver. Yeah. And when you adopt that attitude, 
you start to build upon it and do what's necessary. On that topic of pay yourself first, I was thinking earlier about teachers, for example. There are not many people that will retire in the coming years with sizable pensions. Yes. But teachers are one of them, so the mass t- in Massachusetts anyway, because of the mass teachers retirement system. Firefighters, yep. police officers, still mm-hmm. pension systems. But teachers, for example, if they get there, I think it's like still, it's either 25 or 30, 30 years in, for example, will retire on 80% of their average last three years of pay. So That's right. teachers are an example that put in their time in the state of Massachusetts, public school systems, mm-hmm. are an example of a worker that will likely retire pretty comfortably because most people could live on 80% of their pay and for the rest of their life, guaranteed. And and I know a lot of teachers that are retired and some of them have assets outside of their pension and some of them don't. But And generally that's a comfortable retirement. Teachers... It's mandatory that for their entire, it's changed a little bit throughout history, but now going forward, they mandatory right off the top, 11% of their pay goes to the pension system. So they, yes, they'll be comfortable in retirement, most likely because of their sizable pensions. That's great. They're in the pension system. But the reason for that is they don't have a choice about it. 11% of their pay every Mm -hmm. single year goes to fund that. And if everyone did that for Mm -hmm. their working life, and then of course you got to talk about investment strategy and all that stuff, it would likely be the same. So I just think that's a great Mm -hmm. example of they are, their pension is providing them comfort. Mm -hmm. They paid for it. Yeah. And they worked for that 30 years. And of course it can be different depending on when they retire, but people can do that for themselves and they should or I would hope so, or a lot of them should anyway. But anyway, I just think that's interesting. Go ahead. So what I think is true, and I'm pretty sure this is true, in the 401k side of the world, not the pension side, there's, I think, more and more the default. If a company has a 401k, you might know this better than I know. I believe if a company has a 401k, you're automatically signed up unless you decline. So they've made the default that you are signed up which again follows what you're saying, which is I'm sorry, but some people need a little bit of a yeah. push. Oh, yeah. On whatever. Yeah. And but then it's and then you could push back and say, but I'm I don't want the state telling me what to do or my company. That's a libertarian, maybe. Yeah. But but he, there's some degree to which some people will recognize that this is a very positive thing. Yeah. Absolutely. For those out there on a 401k, if you get free money from your company, you absolutely would be really not that sharp if you allowed free money to go away is on a 401k match. Yeah. I think many 401ks now are auto enrollment and you have to opt yeah. out. I think that's the new, if you hear the term safe harbor 401ks, I think that's mandatory yes. part of a safe harbor 401k, but not all of them mm-hmm. are like that. But I think that is a good thing, that feature. Let's talk about fear for a moment as a source of motivation. Okay. I think that small amounts of fear are healthy in many aspects of life, not just finances. You talked about health and exercise earlier, and I think a little bit of fear in that regard can be a Mm -hmm. source of motivation. But in the world of finance, yeah, I think certainly a little fear is very healthy. Fear of... uh, 
fear of not, many people fear running out of money before they run out of life and then what do they do yep. fear of being a burden on your adult children many mm-hmm. don't want to do that to their kids or can't imagine living with their adult kids or they don't want to be a, I, I would use the term I put the term burden in quotes on my outline because yep. I of course being an adult child of my dad I wouldn't feel like that was a burden but and many kids wouldn't but that's how parents think I think them just in fear I guess that's it fear of not having money fear what do I do next and how do I live and how do I afford my life and so I think that's should be a source of motivation for people yeah and then others could be and then again we always play back and forth on the altruistic side there's the wanting to make your family comfortable to do a cause to have a to donate back to your school or donate back to your church or do whatever it might be that's a more altruistic thing bottom line there's lots of motivations that yeah. do it yeah and i think a host of these things are what drive us and the engine that helps make all this happen is the knowledge of the way investments work the way money grows the way time helps you i think you need the full picture ideally yeah i think needs to be fully informed of both the good and the bad, the positive and the negative, the risks and the gains. And then they see it all. And then in my world, it's all about my world is trying to inform them of there's a there's door A, B, C and D. And that's kind of it. If you pick door A, this is what it looks like. B is this, C is that. You decide. And that's my world about trying to give people ideas and options. And then they make the decision and then live with it. Yeah. Under the heading of fear, I also was thinking about small amounts of fear. I was also thinking about the state of the social security system Uh and the financial or lack of financial health of the social Mm -hmm. security system right now. And I've heard about this Mm -hmm. over the years. And I did a little bit of research this morning on the social security website and they put out publications and projections annually and things like that. So unless there are changes, i.e. increases Mm -hmm. in taxes in the coming years, the current path, the social Mm -hmm. security, they carry reserves so to mm-hmm. fund future benefits. And mm-hmm. I think, I don't know the exact statistics, but sometimes they take in less in social security taxes than they're paying out in benefit. And I think that yep. with the baby boomers retiring, that's going to get more mm-hmm. common, I think. And so right now they have reserves. Oh, I wanted to say it's a $2 trillion or something. It's sizable reserves. But the reserves are projected to run out completely at the end of 2034. That's not that many years down the road. And at, and then at that no. time, the projection is that they won't be able to honor 100% of Social Security recipient payments. The projection, I think, is like eight, it was either 75 or 80% of commitments. So, in le- and there has been talk of uh, legislators are going to have to address this at some point, I would imagine. There has been talk, you know, how to deal with that tax increase mm-hmm. in taxes, certainly on to happen, but also like means testing the benefits. And of higher levels of assets or incomes, maybe they get less or maybe they get nothing. Or there's just, that's just mm-hmm. been talk at this point, but they're going to have to address that at some point. So I think there should be a little bit of fear that maybe for some younger Absolutely. Americans right now, their social security, people even right now can't retire really in this area of the world on social security alone and can't rely on that to like, provide a very comfortable lifestyle. Most people can't living in the East Coast, Eastern Massachusetts. But I think 
younger people should be a little bit fearful that it might even be worse for them in terms of their benefit might actually be lower, means tested out or lower because of the financial health of that system. Or taxes are going up to, to address that and that yeah. it hurts as well. We'll do a social security show. I think we usually do that like in April and get into that a little bit more, but that's something to be just a little bit fearful of in terms of, and should serve as a motivation so, to build your own wealth and take care of yourself later. And you might not be able to rely on the government to, to take care of you. You can't even yeah. fully really do that right now anyway, or many people can't. Go ahead. So if I can add a few quickly on top of that first i have to have in full disclosure right here that i'm right at that age now actually i'm in the i'm 65 so i'm at that age mm -hmm. feeling around for social security when do i take it and i'm really at that but what i say to a lot of folks who i work with is this concept i generally say something in the realm of it might account for maybe one third one third of your needs it's certainly not going to be 100 percent. oh yeah no yeah. absolutely i'm an, i'm certainly with you on the encouraging people on as a rule to be self-sufficient and do what they have to do and i just don't in personally i try not to even think about social security i try everything else we can to help deal up that side so that's very important i think to recognize that it's not going to necessarily it won't cover 100 percent. it's not possible and even worse the situation if it's not even here that's going to be a challenging thing so the rule of thumb does seem to come back and maybe we can even focus a little bit on 77 tips of life. Do you want to just quickly cover those before we end? Yeah, that, we got just five minutes, but sure. Yeah, I, I know, but five minutes, but let's just finish off with kind of some positive or at least some takeaways for folks. Actually, before you get there, hold on really quick. One thing I added to the outline after oh. I sent it to you and very quickly. I had to do, I just saw an opportunity. I hardly ever, what's the word, plug myself as a professional or why someone needs to work with a professional. And many people don't need to work with a professional, but some people choose to seek out a professional. But I was thinking about how the different, we defined earlier, you agreed with four out of my problems, financial issues that people might need help, motivation addressing. Overspending, investing appropriately, not thinking about long, the long-term or goal setting on, and not implementing. Then my, the one that you didn't like was underspending, but I'm keeping it in there. I It dawned on me that, again, a little plug for seeking out professional advice, which many people value. And of course I'm in this profession, so I know that there's value in it or I feel that there's value in it. I think a professional can help you with four out of five of those. The one, you alluded to this earlier, the one that I can't help somebody with really is overspending. Mm -hmm. It can help. I can try to motivate them to why you shouldn't overspend, mm -hmm. but that's the one thing I have no control over. And maybe there are professionals out there that take control of someone's finances and spend their bills for them, but that's generally the ultra wealthy, but, and they wouldn't have the same problem, but uh, that's, people need, that's the one. You can hire a professional and seek out yep. professional advice, but that the spending is the one that you just need to do that yourself. And sometimes people will look at their, ask me to look at their budgets and how can they do better and all that. And yep. I'm like, you know what? I just, I can give you some comments on averages and all that stuff and maybe yep. where you should think about cutting back, but I can't, yep. that's the one I can't do it for you. And so that's no. like all this stuff and all this motivation, like that's the, really the one that people mm -hmm. need to just do themselves if they want to better, yep. if they are overspending, if that is their problem and want to better their yep. situation. But yep. yeah, I just had to throw that yeah. in there. No, I agree. I would even go on to just broaden that out a little bit more and say, there's lots of things I think that you and I can advise people on, but in the end, the vast majority of these things, they still got to do themselves. Yeah. So whether 
be an overspending problem or even an advice you give or invest in this or invest in that or save this or save that. They still got to execute. They still got to implement back yeah. to your number four there. Yeah. Or number five is that therein lies the rub of you and I can't force anyone to do anything. We can strongly advise, strongly educate, strongly suggest what the alternative is. If you don't want to be, you don't want to be poor, you don't want to have this, but here's what I suggest. But in the end, the client has to hopefully step up and make some things. So here's all what I wanted to end with, if you don't mind, just looking at some final tips very briefly to say, here's some final takeaways, at least in my life. And I think most of the people I talk with, number one, you got to spend less than you earn. So this whole concept of that you just can't overspend, back to what we already said. Number two, money in the bank is a good thing. It's not a it's not an evil, bad thing. It's something that's gonna I call it the grease of life. It's what helps grease the gears of life. We need it, right? Number three, I would say this whole thing. Stop spending all the little things and that leaves room for bigger things. My wife used to tell my kids when they were small, when they'd say, My kids and my friends got presents, they got this, they got toys. Why don't we? She says because we're saving to go to Disney World. And <laughs> yeah. there was a larger thing of why they weren't buying candy and toys and cereals all the time. Number four, I love this, the word you used. Don't suffocate yourself with large purchases. Again, this is back to your choices of overspending. If you buy the big car, if you buy the big, the big new latest Apple computer, whatever that, you might be saddling yourself with certain type of debt. That makes it very challenging, which brings us to the five. The fifth one, I say, is simply you've got to minimize your debt. You've got to lower. I think we should do another whole show later this year sometime, Peter, on those the seven basic tips of life, because we could I already started elaborating on all that stuff. We could talk for a whole show on that. So we'll do that later in the year. I thought that was a great show. Thanks for listening, everybody. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Thank you very much to my guest this morning, Peter Mullen with American Consumer Credit Counseling. You can find out more about him at consumercredit.com. You can find out more about me at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamara of the Merrimack. Mac.com for those of you in the Merrimack Valley. Check out our podcast. You can search your podcatcher for McNamara on money. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. Peter, thank you so much. Take care. Thank Bye-bye. you.